Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Again, good morning. In the, uh, in the 1850s, did I have my PowerPoint up, Isaiah? In the 1850s, there was a uh, steamship uh, called the Lady... We'll get there here. There we go. There she is. There was a steamship called the Lady Elgin that graced the waters of the Great Lakes, carrying passengers from Buffalo, New York, to Chicago, Illinois, to Duluth, Superior, and all points in between. She was a 250-foot wooden side-wheel steamship, and at the time, she was a first-class vessel with all of the modern conveniences of the 18. 50s. And she was such a fixture in Chicago life that an 1857 drawing of the bird's eye view of Chicago uh, featured the Lady Elgin there in the lower right hand corner outside of what we now call uh, Navy Pier. It's look a little bit different now, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, there was a stormy night in, in early September 1860, and the Lady Elgin left Chicago for Milwaukee with around 400 passengers on board. Uh, but she never made Milwaukee. Sometime during the stormy night, she was rammed by a schooner about 10 miles offshore. And the collision resulted in a massive hole in the side of the Lady Elgin. And within about 20 minutes, the steamship had broken up to bits in the stormy weather, forcing passengers into the cold water. Two lifeboats holding a grand total, get this, a grand total of 18 people were eventually able to get away and make landfall. But the rest of the nearly 380 passengers were forced to cling to debris and driftwood, and most passengers would not survive the night. In the morning, students, college students from the Garrett Bible Institute and from Northwestern University, uh, both on the shores of Lake Michigan there, looked for and rescued survivors of the wreck. One student, Edward Spencer, is credited with saving the lives of 17 people from the frigid waters over the course of the next six hours that morning. He would swim out into the breakers, into the surf, with a, with a rope attached to his waist, and then he would grab on the, the hand or the torso of some survivor, and when he had that person in his grasp, he would shout out, and the people on shore would pull him back. And after six hours of, of doing this, he was physically exhausted, they said, to the point of delirium, and he was taken back to his dorm room. Later on, it was told to Spencer, later on that day, it was told to Spencer that over 300 people had died in the wreck, and Spencer asked, did I do my best? Did I do my best? And it was a question that plagued him the rest of his life. But yet word of Spencer's bravery made it around the globe. His hero heroism went viral. Newspapers in New York City and London and Paris all recorded the story of this man's bravery. And as a result, 
of his, of his time rescuing survivors, Spencer suffered permanent damage to his health, to his lungs, and he never really fully recovered from that day's events. He dropped out of school and he lived the rest of his life in relative obscurity after his 15 minutes of fame had ended. He died in 1917 at the age of 81, and his tombstone records his bravery. But the story is told that at his funeral, it was noted that during Spencer's lifetime, not one of the people whom he pulled out of the, of the water that cold September morning ever thanked him. Not one. No one personally displayed their gratitude toward Edward Spencer for risking his life to save theirs. And I know it was, you know, the 1860s and you just, you know, couldn't exactly Google somebody's name and address, but there are still ways of reaching out, finding an address or a hometown and saying, thank you. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for risking your life and giving up your health so I could live. But not one of those survivors said thank you. Our sermon text for this morning is a text about gratitude or more specifically, uh, the lack of gratitude. Jesus and Edward Spencer had quite a bit in common, as it turns out. And, and while the ingratitude of the story that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 17 captures our attention, this text from Luke 17 is also a text that shows Jesus' heart for the down and out. We'll be looking at the story of the ten lepers whom Jesus healed and the one leper who came back uh, to give Jesus thanks and praise to the Lord. And we're going to see that while, yes, while this story is about gratitude and thankfulness, it's also, I believe, a story about mercy and grace. So again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17. It's on page 823 in your pew Bible. And I would invite you to stand this morning as I read, if you are able. Luke chapter 17 will be beginning at verse 11, reading in Jesus' name. On the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this passage in Luke, and Lord, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts and open our minds to what you have for us today in this passage. Help us, yes, to be gracious or grateful for what you have done to us, but also help us to see your grace and your mercy in our lives. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a text of scripture that I typically associate with thanksgiving. And in fact, I had to look back and I did preach a thanksgiving message on this text before during my seminary internship. And while, while the emphasis of gratitude and thanksgiving ought to be rightly highlighted, and we'll be doing that during this message, I don't know if that is the primary reason why Luke recorded this encounter. 
I think this text has more to do with mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. In the first few verses, in verses 13, uh, or 11 through 13, we hear a cry for mercy. And Luke tells us in verse 11 that, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And this detail is something that we, if we're not careful, if we're in a hurry, we might glance over without giving it much thought. Luke records it not so much to tell us Jesus' exact travel itinerary and where he's headed. He, he doesn't even mention the village that this takes place in. But Luke records it as a much larger part of, of a picture in Jesus' life. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Jesus had determined to travel, to journey to Jerusalem. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. This would be his final trip to Jerusalem. This trip would culminate in his arrival in Jerusalem when he rode a donkey into the city with crowds cheering him on and singing his praise. That day, of course, was Palm Sunday, and the events of that week concluded in Jesus' crucifixion and his death and his subsequent resurrection. And so in saying that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, Luke is reminding us of Jesus' ultimate purpose. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, shedding his blood as the payment for your sin. The debt that you could not even begin to think to, of repaying, Jesus paid in full. He gave his life in exchange for yours, dying in your place and on your behalf. And on his way to Jerusalem to die for you, Jesus encountered some people affected, infected with leprosy. Leprosy was and still is an awful disease. It's, it's now called Hansen's disease after Gerhard Hansen, the Norwegian physician who in the 1830s identified the bacteria that caused leprosy. Uh, those bacteria cause skin lesions and also attack nerve endings and to kill those nerve endings. It wasn't uncommon for people with leprosy to lose fingers or toes or other uh, extremities be because of the deadened nerve endings that resulted in the lack of pain. And repeated injury or infection to those places would eventually uh, cause those body parts uh, to either fall off or need to be removed surgically. Before Hansen identified the bacteria and before antibacterial medicines were commonly available, leprosy was a black mark. Leprosy was so contagious that, uh, that lepers would be separated, isolated from the community, and lepers were forced to band together. They had to live outside of cities and villages, quarantined from the rest of society. And it makes the quarantines we endured during the COVID-19 pandemic seem like a minor penalty. And so these, these lepers, separated from the common community, banded together and found friendship and companion with other lepers, with one another. And they had heard through the grapevine about how Jesus had healed the sick, how he had made the lame to walk, caused the blind to see. They had probably heard how he had cured other lepers before, and they had hoped for that, that kind of miracle in their own lives. And, and so they cried out to Jesus for mercy, for help, for healing, for grace. 
Their plea was a simple one. It wasn't elaborate or elegant. They simply cried out in verse 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Short, sweet, simple, to the point. The leper's simple cry for mercy goes to show that we don't need to come to Jesus, come to the Lord in prayer with complex prayers or with just the right series of words. Prayer is simply calling out to the Lord and sharing with him what's on your heart, what's on your mind. We often make a big deal of prayer and we're afraid to pray out loud or in groups. We become fearful of others in the group and what they may think of our prayer. We worry we don't come to the Lord using the right words or we may screw something up when we pray. In prayer, however, we have, and and to borrow the phrase, we have an audience of one. And he doesn't demand that we pray to him with just the right words or just the right phrases, just the right physical posture, just the right emotions behind the words. He simply asks us to come to him in prayer. Come as a child before their father. Come to him. Tell him what's on your heart, what's on your mind. Simply and humbly, but yet boldly and confidently. The lepers cried for mercy, not with elaborate words or phrases, again, but simply from the heart. They pleaded for mercy. And Jesus heard those cries, and he answered the lepers with a, with a gift of mercy. It says in verse 14, he said, And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. This was a sort of a, of a different response than Jesus usually gave. Usually when a miracle occurred, it happened right away. There wasn't much of a delay, right? Uh, The water didn't take months to turn into wine. It was fermented immediately. It was wine, right? Blind Bartimaeus didn't have a, a long healing process. He regained his sight instantly and began to follow Jesus from that moment. When Jesus would cast out demons, he didn't prescribe a complex ritual. No, he simply told the demons to be gone, and they were. Right? When the storm needed calming, he didn't tell his disciples, you know, just wait five minutes for the weather to clear. No, but he immediately told the storm to stop, and it did. When he fed the 5,000 and later on the 4,000, those who were hungry were fed that evening. There were no supply chain issues with the bread and the fish. This miracle was a bit different, a bit unique. Jesus doesn't heal the lepers right away. And in fact, Jesus doesn't even say that Jesus uh, approached the lepers or got anywhere close to them, oh, clo- any, any closer than shouting distance, I should say. But yet Jesus still had compassion. He still had mercy towards these lepers. His heart still went out to them in their condition. and He knew the struggles that they went through. In telling them to, to show themselves to the priests, Jesus is telling them to complete the Old Testament requirements for proving that you've been healed of leprosy. You can read all about it in Leviticus 13 and 14, uh, and I'd encourage you to do that. But it goes something like this. In order for you to be declared cleansed of leprosy, healed of leprosy, the leprosy, the spot, would have to vanish. And then the priest would look at that former spot, and you'd make some sacrifices. Then you'd take a full body shave and bath, And then after a week from communal isolation, you take another full shave and bathe, and then some more sacrifices. And after that, if the spot was still gone and there were no new infections, you were considered to be clean and disease-free and could return to the community. 
It was a rigorous process, but it meant you got to rejoin your community, rejoin your family, rejoin your friends. And so Jesus sends these lepers off to the priest to show, that them, to show them that they have been healed or, or cleansed when, as of yet, they had not been healed. They had not been cleansed. And the lepers, to their credit, the lepers took Jesus at his word. They believed his healing power. I suppose if they didn't, they wouldn't have called out to Jesus in the first place. But they must have believed that they would be healed by Jesus. And so not having obtained the healing which they sought after, they, they head off in faith to see the priest. So the priest could begin that process of declaring them cleansed or forbidden disease that they were still infected with. But yet they went in faith. They went taking Jesus at his word, believing that he would have mercy and grace on them, that he would provide the healing and the cleansing that they desired. So not only was there a cry for mercy and a gift of mercy, but there also was a response to the mercy of Jesus. Uh, picking it up in the middle of verse 14, we read this. It says, And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? This is one of the stories in the Gospels that I would really have loved to be a first-hand witness to. I think it would have been amazing to, to see all parts of Jesus' ministry, right? The feeding of the 5,000 is walking on water, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. But it would have been fun to witness, I believe, this accounts, especially because of the interactions and the conversations that must have occurred between, between these ten men. Right? It says, as they went, Luke tells us, as they went, they went in faith that Jesus could and would heal them. And as they went, they were healed. All ten of them were healed. All ten of them were cleansed from their leprosy. The, the red splotches that were so uh, distinctive of leprosy were gone. First, maybe at gradual, but then by bigger and bigger degrees as time went on, right? The, all the, until all the leprosy disappeared. It was possible even that if anybody had lost a finger or lost a toe, that those appendages began to be restored, regrowing, restoring that person to full health. It also meant, uh, and, and frankly, probably this is the most important part to a lot of these lepers, is that they could eventually return to their families and homes. Being rid of, of that leprosy would mean that they could be restored to their community. And yes, again, there would have been those prescribed rituals that they would have had to go through. Uh, but after all of that, they would be restored, fully restored to their place in the community. So there was much to rejoice about, much to be excited about. But yet only one, only one of those ten returned. One out of those ten lepers who had been healed and who had been cleansed returned to Jesus praising God. This grateful former Lester leper must have debated with the other ten lepers, like, hey, let's, let's go back and thank Jesus for what he has done. But the others must have countered with something like, but, but he... We would, but, he, but he's told us to go and show ourselves to the priest. And, and if we went back, Jesus might say that we're disobeying him. 
the, the debate must have gone on for a little while, and unfortunately, the one wasn't successful in convincing his buddies to go back and give praise to the Lord. It's never easy being a minority, is it? Never easy going against the crowd. It's easy to go along to get along, but to stand up for what you believe, to stand up for the truth of God's word, to stand up for right and wrong, especially in the face of opposition, it takes courage and boldness, and that leper displayed that. And so this leper, again, the one out of ten, returned and gave praise to Jesus, and the gratitude, the thankfulness that this man showed displayed his true heart. His heart was a heart that was softened by the things of God. His heart was full of faith and trust in Jesus. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, some of us, some of us have been blessed by God, but our hearts haven't been changed. We've experienced firsthand his grace and his mercy in our lives, but we walk away oftentimes hearts unchanged. We've witnessed what, what some theologians have called common grace. And while this term isn't specific to Lutheranism, it is, I believe, a helpful one in thinking about God's interaction with his creation, with his children. Common grace is God's grace and blessings to all people, regardless of, of whether or not they have experienced his saving grace and his salvation. For example, God's common grace is experienced each time the rain falls, the crops grow, the harvest is taken off. Jesus said, for God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We know that God is in charge of all things, including the weather. But he doesn't cause rain to fall only on the fields of his children. <laughs> when, it doesn't, when it does rain, it doesn't just fall on the Maranatha fields. It falls on all fields, right? Those who attend to other churches as well. But often we, instead of showing gratitude to the Lord for his common grace, we, we chalk, it up to the, chalk up the rain and the weather to, to Mother Nature. God's common grace in our lives often goes unthanked. We've experienced God's blessings, but we haven't been changed. You've probably witnessed the Lord's blessings, his grace and his mercy in, in many ordinary ways that we often take for granted. We have good homes, homes that keep us cool in the hot summer days and keep us warm in the dead of winter. We have jobs, jobs that pay us a living wage without running us completely ragged. We're not forced to labor in sweatshops or dig in salt mines, that sort of thing. We have, we have cars and trucks that take us from point A to point B, and, and even if we wish, points X, Y, and Z, and every point in between, all within a matter of hours. Many of us have, have a spouse or have children, all of whom are a blessing from the Lord. We don't have to hunt or forage for our next meal. We simply go to the grocery store and buy what we need. And even if money is tight, there are government programs for assistance to help us out of those scrapes. These are just a couple of the examples of blessings from the Lord that we often take for granted on a daily basis. Ordinary things we tend to forget and to neglect go on our day without thinking a second thought of them. We've experienced God's blessings, and sometimes we say thank you for them, but our, our hearts changed. In addition to God's common grace and ordinary blessings, many of you have witnessed up close and personal God's miraculous power in your lives. 
You've experienced his blessing regarding cancer cures, fertility issues, problems at work. He's provided answers to your questions and satisfactions to your doubts. He's been your rock in the hard times, your anchor in the storm, your fortress in times of trouble. You've been blessed by God in miraculous ways. But has your heart been changed? Has his mercy made a lasting impact? Or has it just passed you like a, a freight train going through town? We've also experienced his, his saving mercy, his saving grace in our lives. The testimony of many of us is that, when we, uh, is that we've been Christians longer than we can remember. And that's a good thing. We've been saved from our sin, trusting Jesus since our infancy, brought to the Lord in baptism. Some of you came to know Christ later on in life. And each time, God's saving grace and mercy has been applied personally and individually to you. We've, we've been blessed, given grace and mercy. Our sins have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, yet we often forget. We grumble and we complain, almost as if he had never blessed us. I think we often take the Lord's blessings for granted because some of us only have a, a temporal, materialistic relationship with the Lord rather than having a personal living relationship with the Savior. You only call out to God when the chips are down, when the finances are tight, when you're going through a rough passage with your spouse, when the kids are rebelling, when the doctor utters the word cancer, when you break up with your significant other, when the job that you've held has been suddenly outsourced. And you begin to bargain with the Lord and you say, Lord, if you do this, and maybe the Lord answers and graciously and miraculously responds, once again showing his power, his mercy, his love. However, like those nine lepers who were healed, like the 17 people whom Edward Spencer pulled out of Lake Michigan, you go on about your life blessed by God, but not changed. Our relationship with the Lord becomes then like a relationship with Santa Claus. <laughs> he only comes around once in a while and he only gives gifts. The God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, however, is not like jolly old Saint Nicholas. He is not primarily concerned with giving you a life of ease and luxury. He extends his blessings in your life. He gives you grace and mercy so that, first and foremost, your heart might be changed and that you might be a new creation in his Son, in Christ Jesus. And he extends his blessings so that you would recognize and that you would realize your dependence upon him. He's blessed you, and I, I know it's cliche and belongs on coffee mugs, right? He's blessed you so that you could be a blessing to others, sharing with them his grace and his mercy, sharing with them the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death and resurrection with others. We ought to be grateful for what he's done in our lives, grateful and with hearts that have been changed, transformed by his grace. And I mentioned this morning that this text isn't primarily a text, I believe, about gratitude. And I know I've, I've talked a lot about that. Developing a, a posture of gratitude, of thankfulness to the Lord is, is definitely one of the lessons that we should pull from this text. 
but I think that one of the major emphasis of this text and why we have it recorded for us here is that it demonstrates once again the mercy that Jesus displayed to those who were considered by most people to be outsiders. Not only were these lepers ceremonially unclean outsiders, but at least one of them, and probably more, were Samaritans. And any self-respecting Jewish man or or woman who wanted to abide by the teachings of the rabbi and the laws that the Pharisees established would remain far from these twice-shunned lepers. But Jesus continues to show these individuals who are hated by the community, ostracized, He continues to show them love and compassion, grace and mercy. And sometimes in our arrogance, we begin to think that we are superior, far superior to certain others. We probably aren't as bold as the Pharisee who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like that tax collector, right? But we consider other groups and certain sins worse than others. Each person, whether a leper or a Samaritan or somebody who is struggling with gender dysphoria or sexual orientation or somebody who is a drunkard or an abuser, each person is, in the eyes of their creator, a precious, eternal human soul. And yes, we are all sinful in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And yes, some sins have greater consequences on this side of eternity. The reality is, and I think we would do well in remembering The reality is that each person is a precious, eternal human soul who is in need of God's grace and mercy and his forgiveness and his love. And thankfully, the Lord extends that grace to all, regardless of who we are. He loves each one of us enough not to leave you dead in your sin. He loves you and desires to have a relationship with you and with his Son. And if you don't know that saving grace of Jesus, if you have never experienced that, if your heart has never been changed, today is a good day to get right with the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, this is your word. Your word is truth. Lord, and I pray that we would would not come away from this text with hearts that have not been changed. We pray that we would not be like those nine lepers who walked away from Jesus, just grateful for the blessings that you've given us, but, but nothing more. We pray that we wouldn't be like those 17 people whose, whose lives were saved, but then went on living without thanking the man who saved them. May you change our hearts. May, may our hearts be softened and molded, conformed into your image. We thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus, who did pay it all, who did die on the cross, and offers to us that mercy and that grace that we all need. We pray that you would be with us as we depart from this place today and uh, go back into our uh, lives of employment or or work, our spheres of influence, and we take this message, the gospel, uh, to those who are hurting, to those who are lost, to those who need Jesus. We all need the grace and the mercy that you extend in each person is a precious eternal human soul, and I pray that we will be bold in sharing that with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.